And uh, I'm going to read nine different verses. So I want you to go with me. And as I read these verses, when I stop, there's one word. When I stop, I want you all to say that word together. Okay. So this is our participation here this morning. We'll start in 1 Timothy chapter number two. And again, I will start reading, and then when I stop, you fill in the word, and then I'll finish up, okay? So we'll start in chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says, For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all and honesty, okay? Now, let's go to verse 10 of chapter 2, and I'll again read, and you fill in the word, verse 10. But which becometh women professing with good works. Then go to chapter 3 and verse number 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up to glory. Now chapter 4, verse 7. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Then we go to chapter number 3. Or excuse me, chapter number 6, verse number 3. Chapter 6. Uh, verse number three. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus, and to the doctrine which is according to... Okay. And then verse five of chapter six. For fierce disputings of men and of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is from which... From such, withdraw thyself. Verse 6, but with contentment is great gain. And then to verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Nine times in the book of 1 Timothy, what was the word we said? Godliness. What do you think I'm preaching on today? Okay, great crowd, okay? Godliness. And I want to show you from this passage, and like I said, we, we read through all nine of them. We don't have time to look in depth at all of them, but I have taken and, and put these together and give us this thought of how do you and I pursue godliness? How do we pursue godliness in our lives? And that's what I'd like to challenge you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day you've given to us. I thank you for this church and the blessing that they've been uh, to me and to our family through the years and uh, even to the ministry of Camp Shatak. Very great prayer warriors. They love the ministry and love sending campers and workers there. And we're thankful for that. We thank you for Pastor Flaming and his dear wife and just pray that you'll bless him at this reunion in Kansas and there'll be a, a testimony and be able to share uh, even what you're doing here in this ministry and bring him back safely on Tuesday as they return and then look forward to the meetings with Brent Savinsky coming up later in the month. Now I just pray, direct our thoughts, challenge us, 
afresh and anew from your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Godliness. How do you and I pursue godliness? Dr. Charlie Stanley said this one time. He said, we must choose to pursue godliness. It's up to each of us to determine how we'll walk through this life. Godliness is not something a person stumbles into or acquires automatically. It must be sought out and pursued. And that's what I want to look at is how you and I can pursue godliness. God desires that we pursue godliness in our life. And I want to try to help you, show you from the scriptures here how we can do that. I'm going to give you the, the, the word pursue, six letters, and an acrostic of that word, how we can pursue godliness. And we'll look back at several of these verses that we already read. But the first way that we have to pursue godliness is, first of all, priorities must be right. Our priorities. And what are our priorities? The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 7, we read that verse, verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. He says in verse 7, Exercise thyself unto godliness. And it's interesting, as, as, as we go through 1 Timothy, and as Paul writes here, he kind of describes that athlete to us. He says about exercise and describes exercise profiteth little, but godliness is a thing to, to go after. But he describes this idea of exercise. This summer, many of you probably watched the Olympics. And it's always interesting to me as they, they show the Olympics and with camp going on, I, I didn't see much of what was happening, just kind of hear reports now and then. But one thing I know about the Olympic athletes, and I think all of us would understand this, they are very disciplined. They practice a lot. They exercise an awful lot to get in this great shape to go out and perform these things, which is good. I remember uh, when I went to Bible college, I met for the first time, an Olympic gold medalist, Mr. Ben Peterson. He was my football coach. This was back in 1978. He had gone to the Olympics in 72 and won a gold medal. He went in 76 and he won a silver medal. And so now here I am at Maranatha. I'm on the football team and my coach is Ben Peterson, Olympic gold medalist. And I remember just being awed by, by that. And uh, he was still, even when I was in Bible college, 78, he actually was still in training and made the team for the 1980 Olympics and was planning to go to the 1980 Olympics. And then America boycotted the Olympics that year. And so he didn't go, but he was in incredible shape. And I watched him work hard and prepare and so forth. Today, uh, Brother Ben Peterson is still in Watertown. Now, um, a few years later, um, he is not in the same physical condition he was back then in, in 1980. Um, he still is involved in wrestling. He's still involved in doing camps and so forth. But physically has changed. But you know what neat thing that I learned about him? As disciplined as he was, the thing I remember about his life the most was his love for God. That was the priority of his life. And he prayed that if God allowed him to win a gold medal, he would use that. And he has presented the gospel thousands and thousands of places. And God used it because that was the highest priority. Oh, yeah, it was work hard, but his highest priority was God. Now, two priorities that we need to consider. First of all, the priority of God's word. 
The Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 15, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing so thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It's interesting how he describes this reading, this exhortation, this doctrine. It's based on the word of God. And so if you and I want to pursue godliness in our lives, the first litmus test is how much time do we spend in God's word? Because God's word is our guide. It's our map. It's our instruction book of how to be godly. How do we get to know God? It's the word of God and studying the word of God. And as we spend time in it, one of the things that I have been doing for years is reading through the Bible in a year. This year I did something different. We're done this, but it's been quite interesting. I have been reading through the book of First Timothy the entire year. And it seems like every time I go there, I find something different. But I've been spending time reading the word of God and then taking these principles and try to apply it. I don't know what your plan is, but make sure it's a priority of God's word. The second priority comes from chapter two, and that's the matter of prayer. He says in verse one, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and give me thanks be made for all men. And so he emphasizes this idea of prayer. Later in that verse, he says, verse five, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so he has allowed us to, Jesus Christ is our mediator that we can pray to God. And do you recognize, look at verse number eight of chapter two. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So emphasizing this idea of prayer. So the second litmus test for us as we're pursuing godliness is our priority, number one, of God's word. Number two, the priority of prayer. Probably the, the, one of the, the difficult struggles that, that I have, and maybe you too, is, is that matter of prayer, consistently praying. Uh, during the summertime, we, we recruited about 75. This summer, we actually had 80 summer staff. And as we recruit them, I'm out recruiting. Brother Davey Mulder, our program director, is out recruiting. You can go to our website and see the information. So as we begin to compile our summer staff, I try to go through and start praying for them all throughout the springtime. So when they get to camp, then I can finally put some of them I've never met before. They've been recruited by different people. And so then all of a sudden I'll put this, this name with this face. And I remember one time someone asked me, how do you know all of our names so fast? You know, also 80 new kids come and some of them are returned. That, that's great. How do you know them? I'm thinking, I've been praying for you. I just didn't know the, the face here. Now, with technology again, we're able to actually have them put a picture on our website so I have a little bit of what they look like. It's, it's interesting. A kid fills out an application, come to camp. And we ask them to insert a picture. And this is so funny. They'll insert a picture with three different people. Okay, and I'm supposed to know which one of them is the person they're supposed to be, so I, I kind of guess on some of them, okay? But, but that's always interesting to me. But trying to pray for them. And then as the summer comes, I try to every day go through and pray for each one of the summer staff. I don't know what you set up for, but make sure in part of your prayers, you pray for your pastor. 
Pray that God will protect them, that God will use them. Pray for this church. Pray for your deacons. Pray for this ministry that God will use you in this community. What's the purpose of Swinter Baptist Church? To reach your community for Christ. What's the purpose of having fall revival meetings? Oh, because that's just another night we have to go to church four or five nights in a row. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose is for the opportunity for you to reach out in this community and see people get saved. Brent Savinsky uh, did training for us a year ago. He's coming back this summer. In fact, he's going to be in January doing our men's retreat. So I was excited to see him here. He's a great preacher. Loves to preach the gospel. And so you pray now for the rest of this month. And we'll join you in prayer, praying for God to give you a great revival meeting. That's how you pursue godliness. God's word, the priority of God's word, priority of God's prayer. Now, we don't have time to look at other priorities, so I want to finish up this thought. So the letter P is priorities. The letter U of pursue is understanding of godliness. We have to understand what is godliness. One person said this, the word godliness comes from the old English word god Likeness. It means to have the character and the attitude of God. For us to have the character and attitude of God. In chapter 3, we read verse 16. And verse 16 said this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. But you know, to me, look at verse 16. He then defines it for us. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So it's interesting to me when he talks about this mystery of godliness, who does he refer to? He refers to Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, and then I ask our staff this, as a staff this year, permanent staff, we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. And we got to this verse, and I asked my staff this. What's the difference between godliness and Christlikeness? What's the difference between godliness and Christlikeness? You know what we decided? They're the same. It's the same God. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to understand Christ-likeness because we have the gospel, we have the New Testament, we have the life of Christ laid out before us. But the reality is, is, is that to have this godliness, this Christ-likeness, is to put on and have the character and the attitude of God. And he described that again for us in chapter 6 when he, when he talked about um, verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute, supposing that gain is godliness. See, here's what we do. With our minds, we've kind of set up this, this, this pattern of godliness. If you do all these things, we're godly. And he says, supposing that gain is godliness, but he says, you know, so withdraw from that, those. And he says, verse six in chapter six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and certain that we'll carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So this idea of godliness, we, we have all these different things that we think it is. I think it just boils down to you and I having the attitude and the character of God in our life. 
being like God. Think about that. That means being a godly example in all that we do. That means being godly in the way we speak. That means being godly in the way we we conduct ourselves with our family. That means being godly in the way that we work. I sure hope that your life is not just one, come to church, put on the godliness on Sunday, and the rest of the week live whatever I want to. No, godliness needs to be part of our life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He said this, one preacher said, it is my persuasion that if we focus on pursuing godliness, the avoidance of sin will take care of itself. If we focus on pursuing godliness, trying to be a godly person all the time, the avoidance of sin will take care of itself. And so godliness, having the character and the attitude of God, I think very simply defined. So that's our goal, is godliness. Now, the letter R, pursue, is relationship, not rules. Relationship, not rules. It kind of goes along what we talked about. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The other says that, that supposing that gain is godliness. That's not it. Let me just kind of share what's been a burden of my heart. I grew up in a, in, a, in a church in Michigan. It was a GARB church there. I went to public school, but was very active in the church and uh, finished up high school, age 18, went off to Maranatha, a Baptist Bible college. Now, going from public school to Bible college was kind of a shock to my system, okay? <laughs> Number one, in fact, Mitchell said to me, Dad, why do people have to wear ties? <laughs> He goes, this is funny. He goes, is it to cover up their buttons? Okay, no, it's cover up their big bellies, okay? I'm not sure who invented ties, but if I got a hold of the guy, I would, well, I won't go there, okay? That was the best thing about going to camp. You don't wear ties at camp, okay? But uh, when I went to Maranatha, I came in contact with this thing, you got to wear a tie to go to class. Now they've gone liberal down there. You only have to wear a class till noon, and after any class after lunch, you don't have to wear ties. I haven't figured out why that is, okay? You know, you're less spiritual in the afternoon. But I'm glad. Mitch, Luke loves it, okay? But, but I go to Maranatha, I have to wear ties. All the girls have to wear dresses. Now, that was a little different than my public school, okay? But I got there. And then they handed you this rule book, okay? It has increased in number of pages over the last few years. I contributed to a few of those, okay? But this rule book, you had to read all these rules, and so I'm going to Maranatha from, from being in public school. I love football, live for football. So I get to Maranatha, going there to play football. First Friday night comes. We had study hours every night from 7 till 9.15. You had to be either in your room or in the library studying. But it's Friday night. I'm thinking, you don't study on Friday night. So I and a couple of friends went to a football game. Local football, it was Watertown High School. Then went to the football game, got back. My dorm soup, Pastor Loggins was my uh, dorm soup then, and now he's pastor in Watertown. He said, um, did you have passes to go to the game? I said, what? <laughs> he goes, you're supposed to have passes to go off campus during study hours. I said, study hours on Friday night? And so I got demerits, okay, because I didn't, didn't know the system and didn't follow the system and he didn't like the system, but, but that's the way the system was. So I had all these rules. And I have to be honest, that first 
year as a freshman, the, the, the rules kind of frustrated me. Why do we have all these rules? And I remember after my sophomore year, I traveled with Neighborhood Bible Time. And that summer, I came to grips with this concept of pursuing godliness. And that summer, God changed my life. I got to preach to teenagers. I got to work in programs. And all of a sudden, I go back to Maranatha for my junior year. Do you know what had changed? The rules didn't matter anymore. Because my focus was so much on my relationship with God, I didn't even think about the rules. Here's the sad thing. Several friends of mine going through Maranatha, and they just basically lived their life following all the rules. And they had, I think, in their mentality, if I follow all these rules, I'm godly. If I do all these things, I'm godly. And I think we need to be very careful in our, in our circles that if we, we put on this, this certain attire and we do a certain thing, we dress a certain way, then I'm godly. Because several of those kids that went through Maranatha, they graduated. Oh, they followed all the rules. But as soon as they got out of Maranatha, when there were no rules around them, their life went to shambles. You know why? I think it's because of this thought. They did not have a personal, real relationship with God. In order for you to be godly, I, I, I'm, I'm one for rules. We have rules at camp. And uh, some of the people don't like them, but, but you know, not as many rules, but a few guidelines that we have. But just following all the rules doesn't make you godly. Having that relationship with God. That's why that priority of meditating on God's word, that priority of praying, that priority of having the, the attitude and the character of God in your life, a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And you know, when you develop that, and that's your desire, and that's your goal, it changes everything you do. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 says this, Furthermore, that we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that if you received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so that ye would abound more and more. And so as we have that relationship with God, he gives us that desire then to please him. And when we have the desire to please him, we do the right things. It's relationship. I remember growing up, my dad uh, was a well driller, worked very hard, and, uh, but I had a very good relationship with my dad. And when we started playing sports and, uh, in the early years, he was my coach in my, in my uh, peewee football and my little league baseball. But when we got to high school, we had games at different times. And I, and I always knew it was special if dad tried to get off work early to come to one of our games. Because I had such a relationship with my dad. Anytime my dad showed up, I always wanted to please him to make him happy, just for him to say, hey, you did a good job out there. And you know, as we go through life, if we have that personal relationship with God, can we, at the end of the day, look back and say, this was a good day? I tried to be godly today. I tried to have godlikeness and godliness in my life today. And God can say and, and to us and just, just communicate with a smile, you did a good job today because of that personal relationship. If we don't have a relationship with him, we can go day after day after day and do whatever we want to because who cares? So it's relationship. 
Now, this idea of pursuing godliness as priorities, it's understanding godliness as the character of God. It's the, the idea of its relationship. But the, the fourth thing of the letter or the word pursue is a matter of seeking. It's going to take some work. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what he tells us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews eleven six says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Mike Pelletier preached a message from this passage when I was first at camp. We were at Lone Rock Baptist Church. I'll never forget the message. And he was preaching here about without faith, it's impossible to please God. And there's two pillars of this faith. Number one, to believe that God is, as it says in the first part, we must believe that God is who he says he is. And secondly, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And those were the two pillars of this faith that, that we're talking about. Now you sit back and think, okay, I, yeah, I believe that God is who he said he is. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. But secondly, do you believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? I don't think we totally understand that. That we diligently seek him because he's a rewarder. This summer I was preaching at camp. Every Thursday morning, I take our theme and preach to the campers. And, and I said to them about this idea of that God is a rewarder. I said, if I were to give all of you a $100 bill, this is on Thursday, if you obey every rule the rest of the, the, the week at camp, would you do it? What do you think they said? Okay, yes. And then I asked what they're going to spend it on, video games and all this stuff. So I said, I'm not going to do it, okay? But, you know, in their minds, if I get this reward, I'm going to do it. And then we stop and think of our life. And God says to us that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why don't we seek God more? He says I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He says in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, And ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. It's seeking. It's pursuing godliness in our lives. So we've got four of the letters, the fifth letter, the letter U, an upward look. As we pursue godliness, what do we have to do? It's a matter of seeking, but it's also this upward look. The the eternal versus the temporal. What's really most important? What will last for eternity? Your life invested for God will produce the greatest rewards. Verse 7, or chapter 4, verse 7 In 8, he talks about that exercise rather thyself unto godliness for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Now, this is interesting. Verse chapter 8 or chapter 4, verse 8, he talks about that godliness is profitable unto all things. And then he describes it in verse 8, having the promise, having promise of the life that now is right now and of that which is to come. 
And so we have this idea, this, this, this pursuit of godliness for right now, he says, is important, this life that we have now, but also of that which is to come. And when we stop and look at our lives, why do we pursue godliness? We're not going to pursue godliness if we just see the temporal, the things that are around us. United States is in an election year. And you probably, like me, have heard bits and pieces of the last two conventions. First the Republican, then the Democratic convention. Have you ever heard so many promises made in your entire life? Aren't you glad that our faith is based on politicians? <laughs> It'd be scary, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, Because you, you hear these people speak and you, in your mind you're thinking, okay, that isn't true, that isn't true, that isn't true, that isn't true. You've not done that. But you know, it's not based on temporal. Our faith, our pursuit of godliness is based on the eternal. What God says, we need to believe. When God speaks, it's true. And when he says that we are to go through life pursuing that which is of eternal value. One of the things that always just, it overwhelms me is when I see as we go through out the different Bible colleges, and seeing kids that are willing to come to Camp Chautauqua and give a summer. Come as a volunteer. I remember one young man, uh, he had a job. He was going to be working and making $25 an hour as a, as a carpenter that summer. And he came for one week. He said, I'm just going to come for one week to see what camp is like. He came for the first week of training. After he was there for two days, he called his mom and dad and said, I'm staying the rest of the summer. I said, what about your job? He goes, no, this is more important. And, you know, today when I, when I see his life and he's involved in, in a church down in Illinois not now and, and continuing to just serve because he realized what was really important. Oh, yeah, you can go and earn $25 an hour and he could have earned a lot of money that summer. But he said, no, what was important is serving, ministry. And he'll look back to that summer and see that, that he had the opportunity to, to see people get saved. He came back the next summer of camp. And he was really thrilled about that summer because he met his wife at camp that summer. And ended up marrying her. But you know what? You could have him stand today and he'd say, I recognize what's important. What's eternal. Not living for a house, not living for a car, not living for possessions but living for what's going to matter in light of eternity. And so this pursuit of godliness is to have an upward look. You know what's interesting is, is, is I kind of summed up all these different verses. It came down to the last one. And here's the key. Why do we pursue godliness? I'll show you the last one, the letter E. I have example. An example because everything that he tells us here, two places he tells us this, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 15, he says, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly unto them, or to them, why? That thy profiting may appear to all. That thy profiting may appear to all. So as we sum up all these things, all these principles about godliness in our life, why should we live godliness? Why should we have a godly attitude? Why should we have godliness as part of our life? One, number one, that, that our profiting may appear to all. Then go to chapter 6, 
verse 11 and 12, when we're done. Chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. But thou, man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. Now notice the last part of this. And hath professed a good profession, the last three words, before many witnesses. Here's what's neat when you stop and think about it. God wants us to pursue godliness, not so we can just go through life and say, look at me, I'm this godly person. No, that's not anything to do with it. God wants you to pursue godliness in your life because you are before many witnesses. That your profiting may appear unto all. Here's the thought, that God has put people in your life whether it's at work, whether it's neighbors, whether it's people in the community, and you have the opportunity as you pursue godliness in your life, they may see our God through your life. Some of the people in this world, the only contact they're going to have with our God is your life. Stop and think about that. And if you're on a course of life pursuing godliness you have that opportunity to show our great god to these people and so as i challenged the young people i asked the the teenagers this summer i said how many of you are the oldest child in your family and about 25 percent of them i said you're an example to the people in your family what kind of example and this one boy his name is cody he got saved during during uh, on Tuesday night during Teen Two, and on Wednesday he made a decision to to forgive some people. I was preaching this message on Thursday. He was sitting right down in the very front row, sitting right there, just listening to every word. And I said, "How many of you are the oldest in your family?" He raised his hand, and I said, "What kind of example have you been to your family?" And right during the message, he goes, "A bad one." <laughs> okay, I mean he's right there with me, and I said, "That's not what you want. You need to be a good example." See, you and I. Pursue godliness. And it's good for us. God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But that you and I might have that testimony, be that example to those people around us that we can show them about our great God. My question to you today is, are you pursuing godliness in your life that you can be that right kind of example? Let's pray. Father.